So uh, we believe that Paul is a gift, and I'm just, I don't want to take up much more of his time. I just want to release him to bring all that God has for us this morning. So if you guys wouldn't mind extending your hands to him, we're going to pray for him. So Lord, we are so thankful for this man. We are thankful for um, all that you have deposited into him over the years. And Lord, I, I believe that it's going to be those deposits that are going to be given to us this morning. So, Lord, we don't only receive his, his message, we receive the man, Lord, receive this gift. Lord, use him mightily this morning to um, breathe life into us as a church. And I pray, Father, that as we, as we receive this life, that we are willing, Lord, to walk it out in supernatural ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go for it, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jody, Vanessa, the guys, leaders here, appreciate you. And uh, I never take it lightly to, sp- to preach in somebody else's pulpit. It is always, always an incredible privilege. Uh, it's something I get to do at home a lot, but I also get to make the decisions. <laughs> Here I don't make the decisions, but these guys have had me back a number of times. So great appreciation, great friendship, and great partnership. We, we love partnering with this church. And... Uh, You may or may not know this, but from time to time, some of your faces appear on our church screen because we're praying for this church. And I have sneakily in the past taken photos of you while I've been preaching, (laughs) some of which have appeared on our screen, so our people are seeing some of your faces and praying. And because we value partnership, and as a local church, we don't want to try and do this thing called the kingdom on our own. And our assumption is, which I know is to be true, not just an assumption, that churches like you guys don't want to be doing it on your own either. So it's far more fun when we do it together, right? I mean, Jody, how fun was it when you came to Australia and did Kingdom in Australia? And sometimes you've been three or four times. Sometimes you've had your wife with you. Other times you've had kids and others with you. But every time it's been awesome, right? And it's awesome. We love coming here. Love coming here. Why don't you open your Bible to the book of Acts? We're going to read about 11 verses and we're going to dig our way through it and it's going to be great fun. And you're going to be very proactive listeners. You're going to amen at the appropriate places. You're going to cheer and you're going to clap and you're going to be far more awake than the first service. Because it's 11 o'clock now, all right? No 9 o'clock excuses. (laughs) So we're going to read from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's a whole lot of really interesting things in there. But I want to focus on a little part that I like to call the gap. Now, the gap is when God gives us a promise, but it hasn't happened yet. I think we spend most of our life living in the gap. Because wouldn't it be awesome if life went promise, fulfillment, promise, fulfillment, promise, fulfillment, and that's just in two days. But most of the time, God speaks... And then there's a season that passes before there's a delivery of the promise of God. So that season, that window, is where we live most of the time called the gap. And I believe there's some keys in this passage that can help us to live in the gap well. Now Jody referenced some things that happened in this nation over the last couple of days. Can I just say that those things happen because we're still in the gap? God's promise of the, the saving of entire humanity hasn't happened yet in its outworking. It's happened yet in spiritual terms, but it hasn't happened yet because people can't be saved unless they've heard. So there are people still on this planet that are not yet saved and they're not living their gap well. I think the Bible teaches us to be people who live in the gap really well. I want to be one who lives in the gap well, don't you? Great. By the end of today, we're going to know how to do that. So we started in Acts 1, verse it says, In the first book, O Theophilus. So we think, well, what's the first book? What's, who's Theophilus? What's this all about? Now, it's generally accepted that the author of this book called Acts is Dr. Luke, the very same Dr. Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's also been established that... They are essentially two volumes of one work, like a, a two-part series. Now, back in their day, they didn't have laptops and computers and smartphones. What they did have was scrolls of papyrus. So they would record things in ink on these scrolls of papyrus. The longer the recording, the bigger the scroll. So what they worked out, that a manageable length of a scroll was about 35 feet. So imagine the opening acts this morning, 35 feet of papyrus. But that's what they deemed manageable. Now, Luke was obviously a great communicator, so 35 feet was not enough. So he wrote two lots of 35 feet. <laughs> one is called Luke, and one is called Acts. And together... Those two scrolls make up the one work of the same author. Why do I go to great lengths to make that point? Well, because that helps us understand what he's saying when he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. 
So what he's telling us is, in the gospel that we call Luke, which he didn't call the gospel of Luke, he called it my former book. Because <laughs> it would have been just weird if he called it the gospel of Luke. It, as far as he was concerned, it was just his former book. So he's saying, in what we know as the gospel of Luke, I have recorded all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And we've had the benefit of reading the Gospel of Luke, so we, most of us, I'm sure, we've got some idea that it's a fairly good record of events of the, the, the interactive life of the person of Jesus on planet Earth. He went here, he said that, he saw this person, he did that, he healed this guy, he delivered that guy. He, it just gives us a, a, an, an accurate description of the life of Jesus. But then he throws this word in there, began. All that Jesus began to do. And all that Jesus began to teach. Now that word began carries an implication that that work, that that teaching, is it's not finished. Otherwise it would just say, all that Jesus did and taught. But it says, that was a beginning. So by implication... He's saying, here comes volume two, the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, I'm going to write about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. There's a catch. We're not too many verses in to this book that's going to tell us all about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. And Jesus leaves. How to wreck a sequel. <laughs> Just take the star out in the first scene. <laughs> but see, Jesus gave us some keys to why that was still going to be effective. We're going to look at those in a minute. So we're seeing one work. Began to do, began to teach. How does it continue? Well, Jesus said he's going to give us... Those disciples walked with the person of Jesus. But he said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give you the power of Jesus. And then you are going to be the continuation of everything that I began to do and began to teach. So the book of Luke has a series of chapters, has a start, has a finish. The book of Acts has a start. And on paper, in our Bibles, it has a finish. And I'm not trying to add to that but it's an open-ended letter because it covers what Jesus is continuing to do and continuing to teach. And he's still doing and still teaching. And we are the people that are in the ongoing book called Acts. We are the believers. We are those who we've had an encounter with the person of Jesus and we have been filled with the power of Jesus and now we are walking on this planet to continue the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus himself said, you will do even all the things I've done and greater because of the one I'm going to send you. Because of this promise, you're going to do more than I did. I think a few people believe it, Jody. Some refer to this breakdown as pre-ascension and post-ascension. 
And Paul agrees with them in his writing. He calls the pre-ascension with the, the series volume one, Jesus' work on earth, that's referred to as the milk of the gospel. And then the post-ascension is referred to as the meat of the gospel, and that's Jesus' heavenly ministry. So his time on earth is regarded as the milk, and he's, what he's doing now in heaven, which we know is interceding for us, so that we can continue his work, that's the meat of the gospel. And Paul, when he wrote to uh, the churches, he said, guys, stop arguing about the milk. Stop disputing the milk. Stop trying to go back to the basics of milk and start getting engaged in the meat. Well, how do we do that, we think? Well, that's actually quite simple. We think about the things that we're disputing and arguing about that Jesus established. He, he did them and taught them already. We've got to stop arguing about those things and just start living in the meat. For example, when, when Jesus was asked, should we tithe? He said, yes, you should. Because he said, hey, you do this and you do that and you do all these other things, um, which all of those things you should do, but you should also do this. <laughs> so they asked, should we do one thing? And he said, no, you should do six. <laughs> Including the one they asked about, right? So he took, you know, this is your requirement. Oh, this is mine. <laughs> so he said we should tithe. But all across the world today, believers are still arguing, oh, should we tithe? Aren't we set free from the curse of the law? And aren't we this and aren't we that? Milk! We're spitting milk! What about here? <laughs> I didn't come all this way just to talk about tithing. <laughs> stay with me, stay with me. What about this one? Saved and baptised. We get saved, we get baptised. It's a pattern that's established in the book of Acts. It's a pattern that we see right throughout the New Testament. But how many believers in modern Western churches have never done step two? Baptism. Oh, I got saved, that's good enough. Well, the Bible teaches saved are baptised. And we're still arguing about milk if we're refusing to get baptised. We've got to just stop arguing about the milk and say, well, if that's what Jesus established, then that's what I need to do. So get saved, get baptized, and then say, right, enough with the milk. Get me some meat. How do we get into the meat? <laughs> I love meat. In more sense than just the Bible. <laughs> I like ribs. I like steaks. I love brisket. And none of that's got anything to do with this. So let's get back to this. <laughs> Verses 4 and 5 say, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he gives them an instruction. Stay here. Stay here. In other words... I haven't given you yet what you need to represent me well. So don't go anywhere and represent me badly. <laughs> That's pretty blunt. I'm an Aussie. We are blunt. So I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to make it clear what the Bible says. So please don't receive me as offensive. I'm just Australian. 
We're so dumb you have to say it so plainly, otherwise we don't get it. (laughs) Stay here. Jesus knew that they needed his power to proclaim his message. They needed to be filled with the same spirit he was filled with if they were going to go and represent him well. So he said, you don't have that yet. Now, you represented me while I was here, but I'm leaving. So please wait until I give you the gift you need. So step one for them, stay here. Then he said, wait. Now, how many of us hear that word wait and instantly our brain goes into passive mode? Jesus said, wait. I feel like I've got the call of God on my life. I feel like I have an incredible future. I feel like people are going to be saved and people are going to be healed and delivered and restored and set free. But Jesus said, wait. So I'm just going to play Xbox till he says go. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm playing Xbox. Why? Because I'm gifted and called and talented. At Xbox? No, no, at many things. But Jesus is going to use me to change the world. By playing Xbox? No, I'm just waiting. How dumb are you Australians? <laughs> you see, we've got to break this context of waiting being a passive action. And you guys understand the service industry because it's, you guys are paid differently in service industry in, in America than in Australia. See, our, our people who serve us in Australia, they probably make more money than we do. But here in America, people who serve in places like restaurants, they're dependent on those things called tips, which means they're going to serve you quite well. Now, another word for serving in that context is waiting. They come over and they say, hi, I'm Paul. Jody's a very nice guy. So he says, hi, Paul, I'm Jody. I said, nice to meet you, Jody. I'm going to be your server, your waiter. So I hope you really enjoy your time in our restaurant this evening. If you need anything, I'm just going to be over there playing Xbox. And then I go sit, play Xbox. And the manager comes over and says, Paul, what are you doing? So I'm just waiting on Jody by playing Xbox. Yeah, I told him if he needs anything, let me know. How many of you know that if I'm living a life that's reliant on tips... I'm going to get very poor very fast if that's my idea of serving. But that's exactly the context that this is speaking of. See, Jesus didn't say sit down and play Xbox or sit down and, and watch Netflix. He said, there are people all around you who need what you have. The gospel. So to be a good server, to be a good waiter, we need to anticipate the need and then meet the need. And the meeting of the need is bringing the gospel into every situation where the gospel is needed. Every lost person. So we are being good waiters when we're going around looking for opportunities to bring the gospel of Christ into every situation that it's needed. That's waiting well. And the tips are pretty good too. So our job is to serve the gospel to any person who doesn't know Jesus yet. And just like the disciples, the apostles back then, we need the power of Jesus to be good service. Haven't 
received it yet, maybe just wait. Don't rush out and misrepresent him. But let's get some power, which has already been promised and delivered and is readily available. And then we can go breathe the breath of God over people. Verses 6 and 7 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, I love this because it shows humanity at its best. Jesus speaking to them. I mean, just picture yourself in their position for a moment. They have walked for a few years with the person of Jesus. He has invested his eternal best into them. He's walked with him. He's slept with him. They've done life together. They've, everything you can think of, they did together. And he says to them, hey, I'm leaving. Here's your instructions. And their first response was to say, yeah, but what are you going to do? Are you at this time going? And he says, hang on. I just told you what you need to do. Don't get fixated on what I'm going to do. Just do what I gave you to do. <laughs> but their deferring mentality just said, well, you know, sure, we can do that. But what are you going to do? It's like they had this fear that, well, how are we going to do that without you? What are you going to do? Where are you going to be? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? They started a religious argument in response to a promise from Jesus. I wonder if we've ever done that. Surely not. Though probably. <laughs> so Jesus brings them back to their task. He says, don't you worry about the establishing of my kingdom. I'm going to establish my kingdom. And even I don't know when. And it's not for you to know when. Yet over the last few thousand years, we've seen this constant flow of people who try and tell us when. Honestly, if anybody comes to you and says, this is the date that Jesus is coming back, just thank them. That's nice. Have a nice day. I guess I'll see you there. Otherwise, I'll phone you the next day. <laughs> we can't get caught up in the when of Jesus but we should get caught up in the when of what he gave us to do which is now <laughs> so then it says verse 8 we see the promise he says but you will receive so he brings them back to their role he says don't worry about what I'm doing you go do what I've given you to do and verse 8 the promise you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so he, he confirms for them the vision and the commission for the disciples. He says, this is what you've got to do, and this is the power that you're going to have to do it with. I'm going to give you everything you need. I promise it to you. They had a track record with him that said he was faithful. That said, when he said things, things happen. They knew him. They knew that when he made a promise, it was going to happen. How easy would it have been for them to slip into a passive waiting? Well, Jesus said it's going to happen, so I'll just play Xbox till it happens. Because he said it, it's going to happen. No, no, they had to walk through their gap with some elements of faithfulness. We too 
need to walk through our gap with some elements of faithfulness. So Jesus spoke of power. We see that word power all through the book of Acts. Most of the time the context is in regard to miracles. In chapter 2, 3, 4, 8, 10, 19, he talks about that power being activated in the deliverance of miracles. But also in chapters 4, 6, 8, 10, we see the same word for power is used to talk about that enabling to speak boldly. So we need to link those two. The, the signs, the wonders, the miracles have to be linked with our bold declarations of the gospel. The pattern of scripture is not have some soaking meetings. I don't know if you guys have had soaking meetings. <laughs> the pattern of scripture is not have soaking meetings and gather all your Christian friends together and pray over each other and enjoy rolling around on the floor. Because God wants to show off his power to those who already know him. The pattern of scripture is when we go outside of the church, into the world, and when we speak boldly the gospel, then the same power of the gospel can be activated and can do the same things through us that it did through Jesus when he did. He spoke of the kingdom and the kingdom flowed. His encouragement to us is, guys, go into the world and speak of the kingdom. And when you do, expect the kingdom to flow. That's what we're seeing right here. He says, and you will be my witnesses. See, these guys had walked with the person of Jesus. But he said to them, I have to leave. But when I do, I'm going to give you the power of Jesus. And that same power is still alive and well and active on this planet today. The power of Jesus is the person of the Holy Spirit and that is what enables us to live the life of Jesus today, here and now, continuing the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. It goes on, it says, In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem was where they were right then. He says, where you are now, this is going to start. This is going to happen. So Jerusalem for you guys is East LA. This is your Jerusalem. So in East LA, right now, today, these things can start to unpack and unfold through your life. The things that Jesus began to do and to teach can still impact East LA because although Jesus isn't here in person, he's here in power and his power is in you in person. Then in Judea and Samaria. So that speaks of a widened area of influence going beyond their local context. I find it interesting that he says, please impact Jerusalem first. And so, too often, again, we see people say, well, I've got the call of God on my life, so I better go to Australia. It's like we're somehow more needy of the gospel. It's probably true. <laughs> but Jesus' pattern was, start where you are. Start where you are. Jerusalem, for you, East LA, start here. And when you're doing it, when it's working, when it's succeeding, then I'll open the doors for you to go beyond your context. 
You know, there's a, a young guy in our church, and he's very unfortunate in some ways because his father is also in our church, and his father's one of our leaders, and he's a leader who preaches. He's also one of those preachers who uses examples of his kids when he's preaching. <laughs> so this young guy went to his dad and said, I feel like I'm called of God. I'm going to touch the globe. I'm going to reach the nations for Jesus. How do I start? And his dad said, you start by cleaning your room. Every parent in this room just went, amen, that's right. <laughs> Every kid just went, what? I don't get to play Xbox. <laughs> Why start with cleaning your room? Jerusalem. That's where you are now. Start there. Put things in order in Jerusalem. Put things in order in your bedroom. Put things in order in your home. Put things in order in your life. Put things in order with those around your life. And guess what? Your sphere will increase. Then it says to the ends of the earth. An interesting little sub-point, Judea and Samaria. How many of you know that the people who lived in Jerusalem didn't like the people who lived in Samaria much? We always think, God, open doors to me and when I get to LA, everyone's going to be awesome. They're all going to love me. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to get along with them all so well. No, no, he might open a door for you to a place where you don't like them very much. <laughs> but they still need him and we're not there for our gain. We're there for his. Fortunately, I love East LA. <laughs> you know, I love the, when Jody was praying earlier. He said, let's intercede for the lost. Let's intercede for the lost. He didn't say, let's pray for the lost. And then he didn't say, God, bring the lost in. God, go reach all the lost and bring them in and, and we'll open the door and expect them to come in. That, that's not scriptural pattern. Scriptural pattern is we intercede for them. Say, so God, soften their hearts. Open their minds. Open their ears. When I go to them with the gospel, let them hear it. When I go and show them the power of God, let them receive it. When I give them the gospel, let them receive it. But God, empower me to go give it to them. I can't just stand here at the front of the church, open the side door and say, God, bring them in, and then stand here and wait for a magic carpet full of new Christians to come in. How does God want to bring the lost to our meetings? Not on a magic carpet full of lost people. He wants to use your car. <laughs> we got to go fill our cars with lost people. How do we do that? By invitation. Say, sorry, guys, the magic carpet got held up. So I'd like you to get in my car. Make sure you know the people, all right? <laughs> don't, don't be a weirdo. <laughs> I'm going to bring you to church with me. Why would I want to go to church? Because you're going to meet Jesus. John 17, 18. Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, so I now send them. Matthew 28, 18. Go into all the world and make disciples. It doesn't say stand in your church and pray that I'll do it for you. It says, I've given you everything you need. You go do it. Verse 9. I love this. The humanity of these men is incredible. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this is the gap. He gave them a promise. Now he's gone. This is the gap, right? That I talked about at the start. 
Verse 10, 11. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood behind them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go. I'm just telling you what this says, all right? I'm not an offensive person. I love, it. I love everyone. But how much of the church today is still standing, gazing into heaven, waiting for Jesus to come back and do what he told us to do? These guys had walked with Jesus. They knew him. They loved him. They had, had dinners with him every night for a few years. And then he says, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. He doesn't even surprise them. He tells them, I am going to leave. But I am going to give you everything you need to continue what I began. And then when he leaves, they're surprised. <laughs> I am going to leave. Where did he go? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. So what's their response? They stand there stargazing. I wonder how long they stood there before one nudged the other and said, do you think he's coming back? Did he really mean that he was leaving? I thought he was just saying that and he'd be back in a minute. He told us to go do some things, but maybe we should just stargaze and he'll come back and do it for us. They must have stood there for a little while because some angels appeared. And the angel said, uh, fellas, fellas, <laughs> What are you doing? Well, we're stargazing. We're just wondering when Jesus is coming back. But Jesus told you he was leaving. And he gave you some instructions. Don't you think you should follow his instructions? At that point, they went, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should. That's a good idea. Thank you, angels. So at that point, they started to change their response to what Jesus had said. So far, they hadn't responded with any level of faith. Now they start responding with faith. They stop stargazing and they start doing, well, what did he say? The first thing, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem. Now that's where he told them to go. So they respond with obedience. Luke 24, 52, which is the kind of overlap between volume 1 and volume 2, says they responded with great joy. So they went from this lostness of but is he coming back? Where did he go? To great joy in obedience and going and doing what he said. We should be people of great joy as we walk in obedience, doing the things that Jesus has given us to do. Verse 13, And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, again, we've got to look at this two-volume thing. Why did Luke just give us a whole list of names? I don't think these lists of names just to gloss over, oh, I don't really, I'm not interested in attendance. Why did he give us the list of names? What's interesting is that in his former book, O Theophilus, Whenever he listed those names, there was an order and a sequence and a pattern that he adhered to. He always referred to them in pairs of brothers. So he always would say, Simon and Andrew and James and John. 
because family was a strong link and he was honoring that link, that bond. Now he says, instead of Simon and Andrew and James and John, he disregards the family link and he says, Peter, John, James and Andrew, he messes it all up. Now this guy was a doctor. He was a smart guy. I don't think he did that by accident. Why did he mess it all up? Because he's showing us that in this coming promise, there is a new order. There is a new season. There is a new way of doing things. And it could supersede even some of your family relationships. It says they gathered all these with one accord. So all the believers were gathered. Now in Acts 2, where the promise was fulfilled and the power was poured out, it says that every room in the house was filled. Now, they were gathered in the house. But what if they weren't there? It doesn't say that every room in the house was filled. Oh, and one, house, one room in the house over there, and one room in the house over there, and the Xbox room where all the young guys are. Oh, it was there in the house where they were gathered, which means if you were there, you were filled. You were a recipient of the promise because you were in the right place at the right time. But if you weren't there, if you chose not to gather, you missed out. Imagine doing nine days with those people. And then on the 10th going, ah, this is taking longer than I thought. I'm just going to go play Xbox. And then one of them phones you on their iPhone because, you know, they had iPhones. The pigeon comes around and tells you, hey, the promise just got delivered. You're not there. You missed out. You'd be devastated. You know, we, I know people that are living in that reality right now. We've had people in our church that God gave a promise, but it took a bit longer than they thought, and it didn't come looking like they thought. And they thought, obviously, well, you know, pastors are obviously stupid, so it's obviously your fault, so we're going to leave, go do our own thing. You know what happened? Their promise got poured out in our house. And our church is walking in some of their promises and realities that should have been theirs and we're living in them and not one of them is. Because it was poured out in the house. And they weren't there. Gathering together, it's critical, it's important. It says one place, one accord. And they devoted themselves... It's interesting to note that I can't devote any of you to anything. And none of you can devote me to anything. We can only devote ourselves. These people chose to devote themselves. They chose to be there at the exclusion of some other things. They chose to be devoted, to be committed, to, to respect the promise enough to be there when it was given. 120 people of prayer and of praise. Again, if we read Luke 24, 53, it says they, they were in the temple praising. And in Acts 1, it says they were in the upper room praying. So how do we live well in this gap? Prayer and praise gathering together. Now, these guys hadn't received their promise yet. Yet they were praising. Praising. Jesus, you just left. We saw you go. We thank you for your promise. We haven't got it yet, but we praise you for it. 
We've got to be people of praise when the promise comes. Not get passive and wait, play Xbox, because if we're passive, we lose the passion for the purpose, and if we lose the purpose, we, need, we lose the need of the presence and the power. We've got to keep ourselves stirred in the promise. Be devoted. And it's, that word devoted literally translates to continually devoting themselves to prayer and to praise. So they didn't pray once or sing one song and then play Xbox till the promise came. They continually devoted themselves, which means at the exclusion of other options. They devoted themselves to prayer and to praise. Hey, 11 o'clock Sundays, praise o'clock, prayer o'clock, I'm going to be there. Why? Because I'm continually devoted. Ah, but a group of us are going to go play Xbox. I can't be there because I have a commitment to be here. <laughs> Redevoting ourselves. Oh, my word, there's so much I wanted to say. Yeah, I just even looking around the two meetings this morning in this place, I saw a whole bunch of young people that I felt God say, that person, that person, that person, that person. I'm going to use them into the future in, of this church in the area of praise. But they need to hone their skills. We, maybe some need to put the controller down for the Xbox and pick up the bass guitar and start learning that thing. Pick up the electric guitar, start learning that thing. Pick up some drumsticks and start learning those things. Pick up a, a, a microphone and start learning how to lead worship. Why? Because this is a promise over your church. And I think I've touched on this nearly every time I've preached here. God wants to use this church in a significant way in the area of praise. But that's going to be at the exclusion of some other options. If we don't exclude all the other options, guess what's going to happen in a few years from now? You're not going to have any musicians. Which makes praise really hard. Put the controllers down. Put the TV remote down. Turn Netflix off and pick up some instruments and start upskilling in the areas of praise. So finishing. The keys to living well in our gap. First thing is gathering together. Do not give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10.25. Now, we look around and go, yeah, but... I'm here. But do we look around and go, but who's not? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes. Who's not here? It's not Jody's job to keep a record of who's here and who isn't and to phone everybody on Monday and find out why they weren't here. If people get that call on Monday, they're like, uh, pastoral follow-up phone call. But if one of you phones them to see if everything's okay, they feel loved and appreciated. If he phones, they feel controlled. If you phone, they feel loved. So let's love them. <laughs> Gathering together. The next thing, pray. They were devoted to prayer. Now let me, uh, I can't preach a series on prayer right now. So let me give you a sentence on prayer. It is the personal direct communication with the one who gave you the promise. Let's normalize it and make it simple and easy. Jesus, thank you for the promise. I'm not living in the reality of it just yet, but I know you're faithful. 
I know you're good for your word, and I'm going to praise you for who you are anyway. Thank you for your promise. Thank you that as I become a person devoted to prayer and to praise, your promise will be fulfilled. Just communicating with the promiser and praise. The two are so linked. Personally praising the promise giver even before the promise is given. God, you told me that I was going to be this and do that, and I'm not living in it yet, but I want to. Please help me upskill. Help me to be devoted. Help me to exclude some other options and to be committed to the growth that I need in my life so that I can be what you said I'll be. Help me to take responsibility for myself and to grow and become everything that you need me to be so that I can be and do what you said I will. It's that simple. And then two things and we're done. When we gather together, expectancy and faith. Expectancy and faith. We think, well, that's obvious. Yeah, but how much expectancy did we come here with today? How much expectancy do we come here with Sunday after Sunday? Do we come at 11 o'clock because we slept in for the nine? And we come at 11 because it suits us better, but we're really just here to get our get out of hell card stamped. Or are we here because we're expecting that God's given some promises? God said he's going to do some things. I don't want to miss it when he does. What's he going to do today? I don't know. What do you got faith for? I don't know. What what are you expecting? I don't know. (laughs) Let's put some answers to some of those questions. Remind ourselves, stir ourselves. What what has he promised? I mean, some of you, when I said about the, the area of praise, you were like, yeah, I remember he said that. That's good. Go tell God that. Not because he's forgotten, but because it reminds you. Stir it up. Say, God, you told us to fan this into flame. You didn't say play Xbox and you'll fan it into flame. And you didn't say, I'll go into the world. You just stay where you are. You told us to go do it. So let's have some expectancy and some faith. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need to bring our faith to the party if we have a desire to see our promise poured out. God, help us in this area of faith. God, help us with gathering and being faithful and being committed and even taking responsibility for others. Who's not here? It's like the preacher's curse, isn't it? You look around and you go, oh, so good to see you, Linton, but normally so-and-so sits next to you. It's like, oh, you guys are so negative. No, it's called responsibility. It's not negativity, it's responsibility. Why do we want everyone here? Because we don't want anyone to miss out. God's stirring your leaders with faith and with expectancy. Let's all be stirred with faith and expectancy. Maybe even don't wait till Monday to phone people. Phone them on Saturday and say, you're coming, right? (laughs) Oh, I've got this on. Cancel it. (laughs) Why would I cancel it? Because what God's going to do is going to be better than it. Why would you sacrifice that for this? (laughs) Cultivate our faith. Cultivate our expectancy. Let's start to believe God to do the amazing, the incredible, right here in our Jerusalem so that he can send us into our Judeas and Samarias. Awesome. Hey, why don't you guys stand with me this morning? I hope that your, your 
faith is stirred this morning. Um, yeah, what if we just let's just close our eyes for a second. I know you guys are ready to bolt out the door and get some tacos. But if you came here expectant, just in this moment, let, let us let us rest with what's been poured over us. See, we come here on Sundays and, and just believe, hey, this is just a, a Sunday religious activity. Man, all we're doing is checking boxes. And our relationship with Jesus is so much more than that. A friend of ours named Tyron says, the, the world at its worst needs a church at its best. And in order for us to get there, our faith needs to be stirred. Our expectancy needs to be high. We should be the most faith-filled people on the planet. We should be coming to this place expecting for God to equip us for the mission at hand, the work at hand, the purpose that Paul spoke about this morning. When we pray during worship for those people who are desperate for Jesus, maybe your faith wasn't stirred. Maybe you were thinking about all of the rejection. Maybe you were thinking about all of your inability to share the word or to preach the gospel. I pray that by the preaching of the word that we received right now, that your perspective has changed. That as the Spirit of God came through the word of God, that your perspective has changed. And Lord, I might not have the words, but your Holy Spirit can teach me what to say in the moment. I believe Sarah had a word this morning for us that God wanted to, to infill, <laughs> wanted to fill us up. And I know some of us might be running on empty, and I, and I pray even now that God is filling you up. I also pray that one of the things that he is filling us up with is faith and expectancy, filling us with faith. So, Lord, as, a, as, as we close this meeting, we're not closing our communion with you. <laughs> we're, not, we're not closing our, our ability to be in your presence. Before we leave this gathering place, Father, I ask that our faith is stirred. Father, I ask that our cups are filled. Even now, Lord, I pray that our cups are filled. Those who have come heavy laden and, and burdened, God, I pray that they lay those burdens at your feet. That they won't leave this place with those same burdens. You want to make an exchange. And as that load has been offloaded and, and now they have room to carry what you want to place on them, I pray that it is met with faith, God. Faith and expectancy. You are a God of miracles. You are a God who changes atmospheres and situations at a word. And so, Lord, we declare those things. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As we wait, Lord, I pray that we will be faithful servants, faithful waiters. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise this morning. Awesome.